Come in. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hello there, and welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. A little hiccup there early on, trying to get everything going, uh, all the machines going in the same direction at the same time, and I think we've done that now. I'm your host, Rob Howe, joined as always by Scott Docterman from The Athletic. It's Thursday, October the 6th, 9.22 a.m. Central Time, and uh, I've been up for a while, had to see if I had a fatty liver this morning over at uh, UIHC. I've been told my liver is not fat, so uh, that's good. It's about the only thing on me that isn't, so uh, I'll take it, Scott. (laughs) Well, I I haven't had my liver checked recently, but I I'd imagine I'm in the same boat on, on that. You've tried to lose, but uh, yeah, the the liver part of things that went from our 20s, uh, you know, and now we start to worry about it now that we're old dudes. <laughs> yeah, no question. And my diet's not the best, and I've tried to do better at that the last I don't know six months or something. The hardest thing for me is the winter months. Uh, I like to walk. I don't, I'm not an exercise inside guy, like an, you know, uh, treadmill things like that. I if I exercise, I like to walk or jog outside. And once it gets obviously freezing cold here, uh, I can't do that. And sometimes I lapse. So going to try to not do that this winter. I I get in spurts where I I'll go a lot and then. For whatever reason, I, I was really go- doing well. Then COVID hit. You couldn't go to a to your workout facility. And then afterwards, there was, you know, I'm like, I'm not working out with a mask on. That's just really, <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to suffocate here. And and then I got just really lazy. I lost, I gained some weight, even more than I had. And that sucked. And uh, so now I'm kind of in the, I'm losing weight, but I'm not really um, doing very well on keeping up with the exercise. So I can only imagine what the winter is going to be like. I'll go like, I, I'll probably go tomorrow since Friday, Friday morning and afternoon is about the closest to an off day as we have here. <laughs> and uh, then I'll probably go tomorrow and then, and then hopefully I go another time next week. That's my goal. Yeah, I look forward to Fridays this time of year. You're right. I mean, it's the one kind of downtime we have. I go out and shoot high school football on Friday nights, but I kind of just catch my breath. I try to anyway on Friday mornings and Friday afternoons. And then 
this week we have uh you know another different type of uh assignment in terms of a night game on the road in at Illinois so that kind of changes your Saturdays around a little bit and if you decide to come back after the game which I think we're going to do uh it's a middle of the night return to Iowa and that's that screws your Sunday up because then you're I could get home, Scott, at two or three in the morning, and I'm still going to be up by seven, seven thirty. So then I'm, then the process is getting to the couch in the afternoon, putting the NFL on, and falling asleep. Yeah, right. That's that's the worst part. That's why I, I've really over the years really struggled. I think that's because of having kids and and nor- and just that time of day. Even now yeah. for me, I, I can't. I you know I. I wake up about 6.30 or 7 every single day. And no matter if it's uh, after a uh, lightning, lightning delayed home yeah. game for seven hours or or uh, I'm home, I'm in bed by 10, it's about the same thing. So uh, that's, you know, this week having that 6.30 game and, you know, really other than Wisconsin, I think this is probably the easiest drive in the Big Ten just because other than the orange cones that, that pop up between yeah. here and Champaign, it's, it's generally a pretty easy drive. And uh, it's four hours, maybe less, three forty-five, depending on how many times you stop. And uh, so, but the six thirty kickoff, getting out of there. Uh, in your case, you probably get out of there what, probably eleven or so. And uh, yeah, if I'm lucky. Yeah, and in my case, it'll probably be one one thirty. I'm actually going to stay in Bloomington. So yeah, that way, that's smart. Yeah, that way I'm hitting the road, kind of using that adrenaline for forty-five minutes or so, and then. Okay, then let's not stress it out. <laughs> yeah, we'll get into that Illinois game here in a little bit. We're going to start uh, start off with a, a look back at Michigan. We're five days removed here, so we're not going to dwell too much on that. Just kind of hit some of the, the uh, key points of that game. I think... And I've rewatched the game. I did it in the the Big Ten Network in 60 and uh, enjoy those replays. They help a lot. But, uh, you know, I guess kind of what I've thought about this week and kind of what I've tried to analyze, because it's really hard to, to, to know if Iowa's fourth quarter offense is a sign that things are getting better in the context of what less than a hundred yards through three quarters. Um, what was Michigan doing defensively? Not wanting to give up the big play to let Iowa back in the game with a big, you know, a, a deep shot or something like that kept everything in front of them. So I would say I'm cautiously optimistic, Scott, but I'm not putting a whole lot of stock in that fourth quarter. I think I saw some things throughout the game that gave me some hope just some different play calls, some different, you know, and we could talk about the officiating too that wiped out a couple of Iowa's better offensive plays, but we'll see. I mean, we'll get an idea this week right away with Illinois, whether or not those gains were real or Memorex for the old, for old dudes <laughs> yeah. that are listening to the podcast. Live or Memorex. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. I think we can figure out which is live and which is Memorex these days, but no, uh, I'm there with you. Uh, I thought that I saw what I saw in the, in the late parts of the third quarter through the fourth quarter was at least they were executing and there were three quality drives. 
Um, you know, the, the, la the one in the middle got stranded at the five yard line and, and uh, you know, we, we could, if we want, we don't really have to break down why it's, it, it's stalled there, but it did. Uh, but, but, but so that kind of gave me a little more pause. I think the last one was complete garbage. As far as time goes, they were in prevent there. Uh, but I think the other two showed us something. I think that, some of the routes and the concepts that they were using in the first half and the, not the first drive, there's a three and out, but the well, second, they only had two, two other drives in the first half. Um, I thought that they were well put together. And I think that, you know, the second drive of the game was on quarterback. That was his worst drive. Um, I thought he played well otherwise, other than that. And then I think the third drive was, yeah, injury, or was uh, penalty related. Um, some really inexplicable calls. Um, and, and so overall, when it comes to the offensive side of things, I, I came away with it like, okay, I've seen some strides. I'm not saying they're good. I'm not even saying they're average, but I've seen strides because they were on the, the bottom of the bottom, you know, for so long for the first, you know, two games for sure. Um, defensively, I think what we saw is a better, a better offensive line pounded a better defensive line, you know, good defensive line. So um, Michigan is a better team than Iowa. No, there's no question in my mind. And I think that's what you kind of have to come to that acceptance that Michigan's better, that when good teams come to Kinnick and why Iowa has had so much success against them really comes down to those teams making mistakes or Iowa forcing them into mistakes, you know, turnovers, penalties, um, you know, stupid three and outs, stuff like that, bad punts. Nothing happened for Michigan that way. They were, they executed at a very high level. Their quarterback was efficient. He didn't do anything stupid. Um, you know, they only had one really misstep and that was Dante Craig's strip sack or blow up sack of uh, JJ McCarthy. So I came away with it like, okay, the number four team in the country beat Iowa by 13. It was a decisive 13, but, you know, it shows you how far you are from the top. But I don't think it, it wasn't like they beat them 50 to 14. I thought that, you know, they, for, they made Michigan earn it and Michigan earned it. You know, they went four, five, six yards a pop at a time on it and rushing the ball. The quarterback was efficient. There were only, you know, the only real – two big plays I thought in the game and one of them was that quorum one when they were stacked up um, you know trying to stop the run late in the game so I didn't come away discouraged by Iowa in fact I probably was a little more encouraged by the offense yeah we'll talk about it more in a few minutes when we preview Illinois but uh, again we'll get an idea with it. Illinois is not Michigan so if Iowa did make some gains last week we should be able to see them against the Illini, but I agree with you, Scott. Um, Michigan's offensive line was the story of this game. When that first drive, when they were blowing Iowa off the ball and, you know, Corum was two, three yards down the field before he was even touched, um, That's that was like, uh-oh. And mm -hmm. Michigan saw that they had that advantage early in the game, and I don't know if the game plan was to be to not put McCarthy in harm's way coming in. I think they probably had some plays that were a little bit more risky down the field. They didn't throw the ball down the field uh, in this game because they didn't have to. Um, but they that was a really good game plan by Michigan once it figured out, okay, we've got an advantage here with our offensive line. Let's just roll them out, 
short passes, run the ball a lot. And uh, it was a good game plan. And once they got up on Iowa, uh, you know, Iowa's offense is not in a place where it can win football games. And I think Michigan's defense is good, not as good as last year. Uh, but Iowa's offense just isn't good enough to beat a, a decent defense. Oh, real question. And and I think that's the that you summed up the game very well. And that is, you know, when they were on that first drive, I think they were only in one third down situation. And because of the way they ran the ball and got in, you know, the, used the chains, they scored a touchdown, they were physical. And, and I think it shows some of the deficiencies. And, and this is one thing with, with Iowa when, um, when they used, when they have guys who don't fit the prototype and they go against blue blood types who, you know, I mean, you know, the four stars, they've got the perfect size, perfect depth. You know, what Iowa's mantra all these years is, you know, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Well, when talent works hard, you see the difference that shows yeah. up, you know, and a couple inches here and the reach, the physicality. And I think we saw that probably up front that Iowa just, you know, I, I mean, you know, I don't want to knock you know, Noah Shannon. You know, he's six foot, 290 pounds. When he's going up against true NFL caliber linemen, it wasn't the best matchup for Iowa. Joe Evans, kind of the same. And they were very physical, but um, they got beaten by a better team. And I know there's been an obscene amount of aggravation by a lot of fans over this. And I'm like, they were number four for a reason. And they did nothing to me to say that they deserve a drop or whatever. Get them, and we're we're going to see what we can do. My internet connection is unstable, I'm being told, Scott. Shocker. Yeah, yeah, shocker for me. Uh, sorry about that, folks. Trying to switch channels here, and maybe that will help a little bit. Well, let's see here, Rob. So what do we think about Illinois then? I mean, how is this going to shake out? You and I talked about this, and, and we'll get to this. Well, here's another tease. We're going to talk a little Basketball Media Day later on, but we were talking at Basketball Media Day yesterday, and uh, you and I seem to be in agreement here. I'm not saying it's exactly like when Minnesota got a lot of hype after winning at Michigan State, uh, but you and I talked about that after that happened, about, yes, good win, give Minnesota credit, you went on the road in the Big Ten against a decent program, you deserve that credit but it's not Michigan state from last year. This is not Wisconsin from last year when it comes to Illinois winning at Wisconsin. Again, give Illinois credit for going on the road and winning that game and holding Wisconsin to two rushing yards. That's the one that pops out the most. I think when you're looking at a statistics, but you and I both rewatched that game 34 to 10, probably not that lopsided closer game than that. It got away from Wisconsin in the second half and, uh, Wisconsin's quarterback play is atrocious right now. Um, some parallels to Iowa when it comes to offense, no question about that. Um, and I'm not saying that Illinois won't win this game. I think this is a toss-up game. I kind of like how this sets up for Iowa. Before we get into the X's and O's, just, just from a perspective of, 
I think Iowa's going to be salty after last week and not playing as well as it could have against Michigan at home. And I think Illinois, I think it's a natural letdown spot for them after going on the road and winning such a big game at Brett Bielema's former employee. All those things play into this. I just think if Iowa can get this into the fourth quarter, which I think it will, um, I think it's a better team. But that's just me. No, I, I look at this game in a couple of different veins. I, I think that uh, I'm in agreement with you about Wisconsin, Illinois. I've watched it like twice just to kind of see, wow, what do they do to, to shut down Wisconsin? And I, I looked at it as Wisconsin did a lot to shut down Wisconsin. There were a lot of penalties that got called back. They got behind the chains. They didn't throw the ball, obviously, really well. Uh, two interceptions. They were barely 50, over 50%. Um, and, you know, Braylon Allen didn't you know, play very much. I mean, he, he only carried the ball eight times for two yards. And, uh, you know, the, the sacks figured into that total as well, just kind of like it did with Iowa's. Um, but, you know, the, there were there were things that translate well with Illinois. I mean, I think it runs the ball really well. And, and it stacked the line of scrimmage, which is what Iowa's going to have to expect from uh, Illinois this week. Um, and, and I think there's – but it became kind of a snowball effect. There were some bad plays – that turned into really good Illinois plays. And yeah, like later in later stages of the game, it just got progressively worse for Wisconsin. You've seen them press, which is part of the reason why in, that they pulled off one of the sh- more shocking uh, coaching firings I've ever seen with Paul Chris. That was something I did not expect at all. I mean, I thought maybe they'd get to the end of the season and if they were like six and six or even five and seven, that maybe they'd have some sort of a ultimatum or maybe they would just say, okay, we got to do better. Maybe it's because Wisconsin and Iowa are so alike. And I just can't envision anything like that happening in Iowa that I'm like, Oh, won't ever happen there with Barry and their connections and Paul Crest as a grad and coach there for such a long time. But uh, they had I, the, I think the dynamic of having the coach in waiting or a yeah. coach that could be considered in waiting kind of played it into, but I'm with you. I was, I was stunned at that at when that news crossed my timeline. Yeah. Uh, but then I look at the rationale for it. And if you see them, that they have been trending down for a couple of years since really 19, um, you know, now granted trending downward is 15 and 10, but it's, it's, uh, you know, not a very happy place right now. Uh, I think you look at what happened the other day, getting pulverized by Brett, you know, that's something that the fans, the donors, they hate Brett Bielema. That's like, uh, Steve Alford coming to Iowa like a year or two later and beating Iowa and people by take your pick, you know, 30 points in the arena. And the fact that they only rushed for two yards, their defense played horribly. So it's kind of ironic in some way that, uh, you know, you're going to elevate your defensive coordinator who probably had one of their worst defensive performances I've seen, or at least back to back because they did the same thing. against Ohio state, they gave up 50 some odd points, but, uh, you know, so I, I'm not impressed at all with Wisconsin. And I think Illinois is playing really well, but I don't look at Illinois and say, oh man, that's a team that's uh, just going to go out and dominate. Well, I think if anything, that they're going to be high on emotion. There's going to be a good crowd. They still have tickets because they're, uh, they're having like a family four pack for $109. You imagine that selling four Iowa tickets for $109? No. Uh, the free tickets for students, uh, you know, so they're trying to pack it up, get it all orange in there. And Iowa just has the type of team that 
you know, okay, well, let's see what we got. And even if they aren't real great on offense, they can be very efficient and not do big, stupid things. And I think Illinois is capable of doing those. Yeah, and, and the Iowa players, I mean, early in this week are aware of what they're – and when I say Iowa players, I mean the guys on offense. They know what Illinois is going to do, and that's, as yeah. you said, stack the box, run blitz a lot, and that should open up opportunities for Iowa on offense if it can take advantage of those. If it gets – catches the run blitz in the right – you know, at the right time and is prepared and – handles it that can be big plays and that's mm-hmm. something that this Iowa offense hasn't really had this year but the potential is there if it plays well yeah for sure I mean you know if, if you got if you've got eight or nine guys within three to four yards of the line of scrimmage and you block it correctly and somebody doesn't have somebody has a mistake especially a second level player um, yeah, you can get LaShawn Williams or Caleb, Caleb Johnson out in space and they can hit a 40 yard gain or, or something like that. I think that is certainly capable in this game and probably will happen a couple of times because I do think I'm seeing some progress up front. You know, it's not a good offensive line yet. I'm not going to kid it and try to paint this as something like, oh, wow, check out this new, new improved offensive line. But, but you can see it incremental. You can see it. Okay. They're, they're reaching their blocks a little bit better on the zone. They're, they're coming at it with better angles on the counter They're They played a really good defense last week. And, you know, I thought they ran the ball effectively at times. And, and I think that's kind of the same thing here that Illinois has done a really good job. Uh, They're the nation's leading scoring defense, but you also have to take a look at who they've played. They lost to Indiana. Let's not forget that either. I mean, Indiana's not a regular, you know, some sort of great team. They got crushed at Nebraska. Uh, they played Wyoming, who's not very good. They played Chattanooga, blew them out. Um, you know, and then then they played, uh, you know, Wisconsin, who's just, uh, you know, I, this is not a normal Wisconsin team. So I think overall, you, you know, you've got to take those numbers, kind of like with Iowa, too, for that matter, and say, you know what, it, they're a product of who they've played. Doesn't mean that they're not good, but it doesn't mean that they are. This isn't November football. They're putting those numbers up. Yeah, and I think, you know, when when teams are built the way Iowa and Illinois are, it comes down often to line play. And can Iowa's offensive line handle all of those guys in the box, the run blitzes, um, really good defensive tackles for Illinois, really good defensive tackles for Illinois. Um and then conversely, can Iowa's defensive line do a better job? Illinois' offensive line isn't as good as Michigan. There's no way, but it's still pretty good. And there's still a bowling ball running back who wears number two yeah. that's going to be coming through there. And you can't arm tackle. You can't, you know, su- try to pursue from the side or behind on running backs like that because they will just break through and get to that next level. So those, to me, are where the challenges are. And then, obviously, I mean, Spencer's still missing throws that he's got to make. Um, I don't know. Does that click in at some point? Does he have a game where he just hits those passes? Because if you look at DeVito on the other side, he's hitting almost 70% of his passes. And a lot of it are those short throws and, and getting it to Isaiah Williams where it's in space and he can make somebody miss, whereas Spencer's not getting the ball to Arlen Bruce in space where he can make guys miss. To me, there's there are some differences there. And that, in some ways, is conceptual, too. 
and and that's something that Iowa does need to adjust a little bit. I mean, it was hard early in the season when they were only Arlen Bruce was the only receiver whose school's being paid for um, was out there, and and now you've got other guys, you know, Nico Regani and, and Brody Brecht in particular. I think um, I, I've seen some growth from Spencer, or at least. Uh, more chemistry, and probably that's because uh, Regani is out on the field. But he's completed sixty-four percent in the last two games, which I think is a good number for him. It's it's a better than his career average, certainly. And uh, you know, the one that I think everybody went ah when he was when he missed, um, you know, uh, Lachey down the seam. I mean, he was wide open, and you've got to hit those. I mean, there's just no other way about it. I mean, <laughs> and then he, I think he got into his head, and then he overthrew. Brecht and then he had one other bad throw where he almost got intercepted but really that's the only three that kind of stood out for me last week I know in like week one there were like eight or nine and I'm like oh my god you got to do something here um, but he's going to have a lot of one-on-one opportunities and one thing I do see with Illinois is I don't know that they have the players at uh, at linebacker or safety who can match up down in down out with Laporta and Lachey I think tight end could be a really key focus for Iowa in this game so if Iowa can continue to do what it did last week I think it's got a good chance and yeah he's going to have to be efficient and when the, when the opportunity is there he's going to have to hit it uh, but you, you know they're going to give you those opportunities it's just a matter of whether the line keeps up and I think other than that one series late in the, in the fourth quarter where they you know he got sacked a couple of times uh, other than that I thought they pass walked well and they're just going to have to continue to do that um, Saturday. I asked uh, Arland on Tuesday um, if, you know, because he established himself early this season as one as the dude, one of the dudes, along with uh, Laporta. Now Lachey's kind of emerged and Reggiini's come back and uh, they've got more weapons now to use. But I asked Arland if, if defenses are playing him differently. And he goes, yeah, he goes, you know, I'm the motion guy. And at the beginning of the year, I would get handed off. You know, the defenses would just, he'd come in motion and they'd hand off to whoever was the opposite side defender. Now they're, they're following him. They're shadowing him wherever he goes. They're trying to take him away. And he's got to counter that. And Iowa has to come up with ways to free him up now that defenses have countered what Iowa was trying to do with him. So I'll be interested to see this week if they're able to uh, adjust. Yeah, that's that, that's a big key, Rob. You hit it there. I, I went through an analytic breakdown of this team, um, you know, from that kind of perspective. And uh, one thing I've noticed is when they do use jet motion, they are pretty effective overall. It, whether that's whether or not they get the ball, it doesn't really matter. Um, I would say when you look at um, and and let me kind of. Uh, get there i mean people looked at the headline and i kind of freaked out <laughs> they're <laughs> growing and making progress i went oh no that's not what i wrote about but um but when they are uh you know let, let's take a couple of different aspects here when they throw on first down they're actually pretty good um you know that they're completing 71 percent of their passes when they throw on first down how that's often a, how often are they throwing on first down about 34 to 35 percent okay so that's a pretty good number, and that's yeah. consistent. And I think that's something that, again, teams aren't ready, ready for. They're ready for Iowa to run on first down. They don't believe in their wide receivers. So you can 
take gifts. You can get, you know, good passes and stuff. Now you now, see with, that with other teams too, when they, yeah. they, you know, you throw a four or five yard pass, that's as good as four or five yards on the run on first down. Exactly. It's staying ahead of the chains. Yep. You know, if it's like if you run the ball for four yards or five yards and pass the ball for four, it's staying ground acquisition. Now, their problem is because of who they are. And, and I think in some ways the analytics are a little bit screwed because of the, or skewed, I should say, based on and the first, and screwed <laughs> based on the first two <laughs> games. Yeah. Is that when they run on first down, they're not very good. They're 122nd and 126th in yards per carry at less than three yards. And when they are in second down, that's where they get in real trouble because their options aren't real good at that point. If they have less than second and five, they've never thrown once. But if it's more than second five, they, you know, they, um, they throw almost all the time. And then so like uh, if out of the 60 second down plays following a first down run, Iowa ran 56.7% with an average distance of 5.8 yards per carry. They average 3.5 yards per carry on those plays. That's not bad. That's actually staying ahead of the chains and you're getting third and two, third and three. And, you know, they're makeable territory where you can still use a full service offense. You can, you can run the ball third and two and third. Um, or you can pass it, of course. But uh, if they fail to gain more than a yard, they throw all the time. And they're uh, and then they are averaging only four dropbacks. In fact, out of their 22 passes, they've uh, they've been also sacked three times and scrambled once. But out of the they've uh, they average only four yards when it's like second nine and three point three, and they've only got out of those 26 plays, five first downs out of it. So they're really just, when they're at second nine, you know they're going to throw. And they usually throw incomplete. <laughs> that's really, the, and that's where they get in real trouble. So that is something that the staff needs to realize. And I think, you know, I don't know how much they did. That's why I asked Kirk about, you know, their their uh, analytics and their, their meetings and what they talk about. He said that is, he didn't want to go into specifics, but he did say that that was part of the discussion. And and then uh, and then also you you look at uh, you know they, they don't involve their quarterback in a lot of those discussions. And I don't know if they should or they or it doesn't matter. But you know, I thought that was kind of interesting. And you know Spencer's just like yeah, that's the minds to figure that out. And so, uh, but they got to they got to understand that they've got to look at those numbers and say hey, if it's if it's second and four, maybe we throw. Maybe they won't expect it. Um, that 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 to me, that's the part of coordination that they really need to emphasize going forward. Yeah, we've talked about that for years, Scott. The predict predictability of Iowa's offense, and you know when you're when you're I don't want to say basic, but you know you're you're not a very exotic offense, and you and you know you rely on execution fundamentals and 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 maybe not a wide array of plays you you need to be a little bit deceptive and you need to be unpredictable and Iowa just seems to settle into patterns that they have a trouble getting out of yeah for sure and you met, you brought up at the beginning of this little part of the discussion about the jet sweeps and and they've only ran two jet sweeps this year 
one in each of the first two games. But it's still a very effective part of their game when they do that. Um, when they run jet sweep, um, they're averaging 10.5 yards per carry just with the motion. Doesn't even have to be a carry. And then they're complete, they've completed five to six passes. That's that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, that's that's really good, in fact. So um, so you know, the, the one aspect that it does, and I wish they would do it more because in 2020 they did do that. And they averaged through the whole season 7.1 yards per carry. Now, you know, when you have somebody as electric buying as Amir Smith Marset or even Tyrone Tracy running in that play, that that's that's gonna get you some more yards. But but I think what it's showing is people are following, you can see the coverage and what it is, and um and it also helps your offensive line because that misdirection creates doubt and uncertainty among second level players. And so, you know, they go one direction and they, their eyes are this way. And then that can enable your offensive line just to get to them a little bit quicker. And, uh, and you're not relying as much on cut blocks, which, of course, as we saw last week, uh, could be disastrous, even if you do it correctly. Yeah, no question. And uh, there were some, I, you know, that was the game was still, you know, early when those calls were made on that drive. And I wonder, you know, if Iowa can even get down and get three points there, if it changes the complexion of that game at all, probably not. As you said earlier, Michigan was the better team and Michigan played better, played pretty clean football. So I don't think that those, those calls change the outcome of the game, but it's just, you know, it's disheartening when you're, you, you're an offense that struggles as much as Iowa struggles struggled and then you're still trying to overcome questionable calls it, it's it makes it that much more difficult and it's it's tough I mean you want to you, you you know you want to say just flush those plays and move on you can't think about it. it's out of your control but you know just human nature you're like god we ran you know Caleb Johnson rips off this run and it doesn't count and mm-hmm. you only get so many opportunities to be able to do that mm-hmm. exactly and you know, yeah, the penalty aspect to me, I think it's more partly existential uh, with the cuts, the cut blocking that gets called as a as a clipping penalty or a tripping penalty, I guess it was, which is ridiculous. Was it, was it clipping perfect. or tripping? What did they call I, that? I thought it was, you know, it should have been clipping if you're going to call anything, mm-hmm. but instead they called tripping. And so, and frankly, it was, should have been nothing. It was a perfectly executed cut block. He went to the far side knee. He drove through it. He never kicked his legs up or anything. And so it's just a ridiculous call. And that needs to be heavily discussed. And then, and then of course, uh, blocking during the whistle and pancaking somebody is not unnecessary roughness. It's called football. And that, that does need to have, uh, you know, the, they need to have that be discussed at, at the big 10 level because you just can't have that not in a physical league like this so uh but either either way i think i look at uh you know those penalties are you know the second one they were able to overcome the first one they weren't and that's really tough especially when i mean it's a 15 yard penalty that just crushed them their drive and they're doing so well and it's was like, that before or after the hold on uh dunker i think it was after and okay uh, was that a whole i didn't i don't remember if i went back and watched that because i know that kirk was complaining about the holding call too yeah there was the holding call and in that one um 
you know, I, I, I think I remember looking at it and it was, you know, semi, it's hard to determine. And mm -hmm. so I'll, I'll give the officials the benefit of the doubt on that. But, you know, the 15 one, uh, wait a minute, that, that was a. Uh, it was the same drive. Weren't they back-to-back -back plays? Yeah, let's see here. They were. If not, no. they were close because it seemed like That's Iowa crazy. was, Iowa was, got pushed back twice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was within four plays. It was the same drive because uh, you had um, Caleb Johnson running and then Dunker got a, a holding and it was first and 20. Uh, then they picked up a first down. And then on first and 10 from the 46 is when, uh, you know, they had the outside zone. And then you had the clipping call on the backside uh, to Connor Colby. And, and again, that just takes the life out of your offense. It takes the life out of your team when you're doing so. And then if, if it's a legit penalty, so be it. That's the way the game's played. But when it's not, I'm not saying that they need to, I, I don't want to have any challenge flags on, on penalties or at least like that. Man, that, that was bad, bad, bad call. And, and it's, it's not even subjective. It's not even the point of, semi being subjective it was just a bad call and and so that that killed him on that drive and that was in the first half and and at that stage I think it was 10 to nothing so Iowa gets back in the game I mean mm -hmm. if they score even a field goal it's 10 to three or and of course if they score a touchdown it's 10 to seven and it's a different game and it's a different dynamic and maybe Michigan thinks differently and and instead it just all fizzled away yeah and you hate to see any of that have any type of impact on a game um I don't believe it changed the outcome of the game, but it it could have changed how the game was played and the flow of the game. And as Scott said, how maybe Michigan called uh, plays after that. So uh, nothing they can do about that. Got to, uh, I'm sure some, some uh, video went to the league office last week <laughs> was sent in. So yeah. um, I'm sure it was reviewed. Were you the one who asked Kirk about, uh, Mid-season coaching changes, was that you? Yeah, I did. He didn't seem to appreciate that question, but I thought it was a good one and a fair one, particularly with what we're seeing in the Big Ten West. It's not like you have to look far. I mean, we can say, you know, what Nebraska and Wisconsin have done are right or wrong or, mm -hmm. you know, coaches shouldn't lose their jobs or whatever, but it's kind of when I the way I look at this, Scott, is there's a lot of money involved here. We talked about the media rights deals, um, it's about winning football games. It's a business. And if you're not winning enough and the people that determine whether you're not winning enough, oftentimes are the people that have the most money and are supporting your program. I think Kirk is in a, in a really advantageous position that he's earned over the years and the equity that he's built up with boosters and the money people. And I, and I'll say this, and you and I have talked about this off the air. Kirk is not getting fired. Doesn't deserve to be fired at this point. They won the Big Ten West last year. Um, and he's not going to fire Brian. So I know a lot of people are wasting energy on that. Um, but that's not going to happen. And I kind of got that sense from his response to you, where he was a little agitated that uh and he I, I just I can't see him ever firing somebody in the middle of the season. Oh, I can't either. And I just thought I wanted to get him on the record about it. Yeah. Um, because and that I, was I, fair. I knew, the, I knew the answer. But when you do look at, you know, I think the two most like Iowa programs 
um, you know, in budget and style and what they're trying to go for is, is Nebraska and, uh, and Minnesota. I mean, Iowa State and Minnesota are, are uh, Nebraska and Wisconsin. Iowa State and Minnesota are not like Iowa in, in a lot of different ways, but those two are. And when you see those two programs that probably fit your program in, in comparable ways, making mid-season changes, um, I think it does, you just have to get that question out there. And and so the fact that, hey, I'm not going to do it. I understand that. I figured he would. I just wanted to make sure he got on, you know, his answer down. And you look at, uh, um, you know, should there be changes? You know, that's, I don't know what it would solve right now, honestly. I mean, you know, the the thought of, I think, I think Brian is really skilled offensive line coach. I think he knows the running game very well. I think he'd be, he's probably better suited to that, but I also have kind of seen some of the concepts the passing game has. And I think that, yeah, I can see some improvements there. It's just the personnel hasn't been able to to manage it yet. And I think it's an execution or personnel issue more than it is a, uh, you know, other than the, the tendencies, I think it's really, that's kind of where it comes back to. It's just, what do you, you know, there's a such a groundswell of aggravation that just won't leave, that it makes it really difficult, and in some ways less enjoyable than this job has ever been. Yeah. Uh, because you write something, you know, I went through their tendencies the other day, and I had there's one commenter who said I didn't even read the story. I just want to see Brian fire. You know, that kind of thing. I'm like, well, you're not gonna read any story. Then. That's not gonna happen. Now, the only thing you can really hope for is at the end of the year, Brian decides, you know what, I've had enough. I'm going to go to the NFL or Bill O'Brien's going to go take the Arizona State or Colorado job and, and I'm going to go with him. That's really about it. He's not going to get fired. Um, you can complain about nepotism all you want. You can complain about the offense all you want. They're not going to make changes. They're not going to fire Kirk Ferentz, crying out loud, because he did win 12 straight games going into the midpoint of last year. Now, they haven't had a lot of success since then. You know, they're what uh, – six and five, I think is probably the, the record right now over the last 11 games. So that's not real good, but still, this is, this is a team that's, you know, you just got to accept it for what it is. And I think kind of the, the dynamic of this and it's not breaking news is this is kind of worst case scenario for Kirk when he hired Brian. Yeah is that the offense struggled this much over a, you know, a a length of time that it, there's a groundswell of make it stop. Mm -hmm. We can't watch this. You know, it's an entertainment game. It's an entertainment sport. This is not entertaining to watch. And that gets people really riled up. Um, And then Kirk's in a position, do I fire my son? How can I do that? It just makes it a really um, stressful situation for everybody on the inside and outside of the program. Brian can't be having fun. I don't think he's having fun with this. Um, And I think we've been around this long enough to know that Kirk bears a lot of responsibility in this. He's involved in the offense. He's involved in quarterback decisions, all of those things. You know, and Spencer Petrus has been put in a tough spot. All of those things play into it. And I don't know if there's some some guilt on Kirk's end that he's put Brian and Spencer in this position. Uh, But it's 
We've seen through the years the same complaints with quarterbacks and offensive coordinators, and the only constant is Kirk. Right. Yeah, you're right. And and that's where I I kind of wish in his case he would kind of graduate into being more of an overseer and, or more of a not a figurehead necessarily, but you know, really kind of remove himself from the the day-to-day layout of the offense because it's the game has changed too much. Um, I, I mean, even looking at some of the numbers the last few years, you know, they, it wasn't so bad in like 18 and 19. It was actually pretty good. The problem was when you look at, compare those numbers to where they were national ranked in 19, 2020 even, versus 2006 and seven, the yardage totals have almost gone up on average by like 80 to 100 yards per game. That's the way the game's going. And Kirk doesn't want to do it that way. And I think what you need to do is have somebody, if you can continue, if, if I was him and let's say Brian decides to go, whether it's NFL to be a line coach or another college with like Bill O'Brien, if he gets a job um, and he hires someone, I think if Kirk says, look, I want to keep the same type of blocking scheme. I think this is the way we want to do it. This is the way I want to do it. Have it done. I want to still have, tight ends being a central part of this offense, but the rest of it, you can decide. And I do want it to be a pass first quarterback, but somebody, you know, but beyond that, do what you got to do. I think that would be the right strategy because then you allow somebody to incorporate, okay, as long as we block this certain way, most of the time we're, you know, I can create new things. And and I, I think that's the problem with when you're so stubborn and set to this, you're, I mean, they're the worst offense in the country. And trying to get to be less than the worst, you know, <laughs> trying to be, if they could be 100 by the end of the year, it shows great growth. Um, and then I think the other aspects that um, are involved here is one, they completely whiffed in the 2018 and 19 classes, uh, you know, for, for tight end or for offensive line. None of them are starting. Only one of them is even rotating here, and that's Jack Plum. That's a big, big, big problem for their offensive line that, you know, and even last year, you know, you had to go steal somebody from the defensive line to be your best lineman. And, and you're just probably your second best lineman was a former walk-on and Kyler shot. So, um, and then you look at, uh, you know, wide receiver, all their losses there in the off season, they didn't replace any of them. They didn't, you know, and it's one thing that, you know, we can argue about Petrus versus Zach Wilson or even Trey Lance to an extent or another quarterback that happens. That's just part of the game. But I think, the the part where they deserve to be knocked down a notch or two is whiffing so badly on their offensive line recruiting and also not replenishing any part of their wide receiver core because if they could have gotten two starters out of the 18 and 19 classes on the offensive line and two more contributors at wide receiver, I think this team at minimum is four and one and it looks a lot different. Yeah, even if you have Jones and Tracy mm-hmm. still on the roster, it's a lot right. different. And I mm-hmm. think also adding to the frustration, Scott, is I think people look at it and say, if this offense could just be average, mm-hmm. this defense is so good. The special teams are so good that it almost feels like a missed opportunity. Yeah, no question. Because, you know, if this team goes, and I, I think the current trajectory is probably like seven and five. I just think that that's the way it feels. Maybe eight and four if they win a game that they probably shouldn't or something. But if you're thinking, man, if you had even a a decent offense, you know, one that, you know, like 2020, the way they could run the ball or, you know, 2000, 
not, uh, 18 when you had Hawkinson and Fant, the way they could pass once in a while. If you had one of those types of offenses, then you feel like, you know what, you're still the team to beat in the West. Maybe you're not going to win it, the, the Big Ten, because that is really tough. And I think anybody who uses that as a litmus test for Kirk as being a great coach is stupid because Ohio State has been so strong that it's almost impossible to win that game. Um, but, you know, overall, they just – yeah, that's what makes this Illinois game, you know, why they're the underdog and, and why it's so important rather than, okay, go over there and take care of business. You should win this game. You know, it's, it's, that's the, two, the difference between having a, even a, an average offense and having one that's ranked in the bottom of NCAA. And you look at this, the Big Ten West, everybody but Wisconsin's one and one. It's there for the taking if you can just get the offense to complement the defense and special teams, it's not doing that right now. And it's going to be tough to win this division with the schedule that lays ahead, not only this week, but then the bye and Ohio State still road games at Purdue and Minnesota. Um, even those games at the end of the season against Wisconsin and Nebraska, you don't know what those teams are going to look like by that point in the season. So um, we're at the halfway point, Scott. The offense needs to click now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is – we're halfway done through the season. Can you believe that? I, mean, I know. The Saturday night, it goes so fast. And uh, – but, you know, like the first two weeks were like a mulligan, like almost like they don't count because of how bad their offense was. And now they're starting to try to turn it around. And and they're, you know, weeks behind everybody else. And But it's time, you know. And, and again, like you said, if, if, they, if they lose this week, and I don't think anybody expects them or will pick them to beat Ohio State, except against the spread. Uh, you know, then they're, then they're three and four, and you got those road games, and then you've got games against you know Northwestern. They've lost their last three at home to Northwestern. Yes, Northwestern isn't very good, but I'm sure they're not going. Man, I don't know if we could beat Iowa in Iowa City because they've done it every time. Every time any of these kids have been in college, uh, you know, uh, Wisconsin at home. I mean, maybe they turn it around. And then finally, Nebraska, you know, you know, would make their season if Iowa was like five and six. And it's like, all right, you know, we're, we're going to go to Iowa City and win. They haven't done that, you know, since 2014 and, and knock Iowa out of a bowl game. Yeah, I mean, that's that could be the ultimate. So that's why this game is so important, in my opinion, for Iowa to go four and two, feel like, OK, you, you've gained some momentum. You've beaten a, a rival, a team you compete against for recruits a lot now. And and then go to the bye feeling like, okay, we've made some progress. Let's go out and have a good second half. Yeah, that's a big, you know, I'm glad you brought that up. And we'll talk a little bit about recruiting here as we wrap up the football conversation. Scott is Brett, when he took the job, said, I'm locking down the borders. Now, the top kids are going to still go to Michigan, J.J. McCarthy. You know, the, you're going to lose the 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 big guys to Ohio State, still Michigan, Notre Dame, schools like that. But he's done a really nice job of keeping kids in state, and that in turn hurts Iowa. Now, if Illinois, in year two of his reign, can beat Iowa on the field, that makes it that much more difficult for Iowa to rec- Iowa to recruit in Illinois, which has been a key spot for the Hawkeyes. Yeah, they've been able to walk into Illinois and not take whoever they want, but be very competitive for whoever they want and then grab players every single year. The two starting, two starting defensive tackles are from Illinois. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one, one right across the river and one, you know, in the Chicagoland area. And, and, and you look at some of the guys that they've lost, you know, that running back, that big one that's from the Champaign area. Yeah. You know, if, if Lovey was there, maybe they get him, you know, instead he's, you know, and I think I look at him and I'm like, wow, that kid's going to be special. He's just, he's a big Braylon Allen type, you know, and uh, Aiden Lowry, he probably could have been helpful on the offensive side of the ball this year, you know, yep. kind of a, you know, I don't want to go this far, but uh, Cooper DeGene comes to mind, you know, maybe it'd be something more like that. Um, and, you know, if you lose one of the, just one of those kids every year to Illinois, again, that could be the difference in a very close game between them making a play on third down and you not forcing a punt one way or the other scoring, you know, all those types of things. So uh, that's why I think it's essential that Iowa gets this win. And it's, it's a really important game. Biggest game of the season in my eyes. Yep. It can change completely change the outlook and complexion of where things go from here. Um, We'll get to recruiting here in a minute. I wanted to let folks know that support for the podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. Thank you to Systems Unlimited. We're going to hear from a few more of our sponsors right now. And on the other side of the break, Scott and I will dive into a little bit of recruiting and then do some basketball and then our picks. So please come back. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Oriza Asian Cuisine and Bar is celebrating its fifth year anniversary. Enjoy Chinese, Vietnamese, Thai, and Korean all combined into one menu. Visit Five Sturgis Corner Drive next to Staples in Iowa City. Open 11 to 10 every day, 365 days a year, or visit online at arisaic.com. Hi, this is A.J. Perez, managing partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. And thank you again to our sponsors. We are back uh, to hit a little recruiting. Scott, big uh, big group of kids, that, you, as you would expect, for the Michigan game last week, and Iowa handed out some important scholarship offers, uh, one being in the 2023 class at a position that we talked about of need, uh, and that's uh, Ryan Mooney, uh, a tall 6'3-ish, uh, quick, emerging, they call them pop-up prospects. He's a senior that's kind of put things together. He's from Orchard Park, Michigan, uh, visited here this last weekend and uh, starting, got a Boston College offer. He's starting to kind of put things together this season. More interest is coming his way. Iowa was able to get him on campus, gave him an offer, uh, and this is the type of kid you have to close on. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what – other competition will come in here to compete against Iowa, but the sooner Iowa maybe closes this one, the better. Yeah, for sure. It's a big one. Um, you know, he's, I think he's listed six, three or six, four, 170. What a lacrosse guy. Um, 
you know, I, I think that's really important. Uh, you know, he's, he's from an important part of their recruiting territory in Michigan. And um, as, you know, the Big Ten West kind of dissipates here, if after, you know, if not this year, certainly next year will be the last time, that's going to go back to being prime recruiting territory. You're not playing there every three years or every six years, you know, depending on which Michigan school you're going to be playing there um, very frequently. And so I think, it's, you know, you want to make sure you get those prospects in as often as you can. And I think in this case, you know, he's still really under the radar, which is a good thing for Iowa. Um, and I know other schools will probably start to talk to him. And then when you get closer to signing day, then you're going to see probably others really start to dig. And uh, But, you know, he seems to fit the pro- uh, prototype and, and they need taller guys. They need X receivers who can do something with the ball and beat one-on-one coverage. And, and right now I think he's uh, – you know, he'd be a good one to bet on. Yeah, bye week next week. Expect Iowa to get on the road and get a face in person to watch him play uh, and show, uh, you know, the kid that they want him. Um, I'm sure they're telling him that, but getting a coach out there and or two coaches to uh, to close the deal there would be important. Uh, Talk about a pop pop up prospect, Scott Grant Bricks from Logan Magnolia in state. Here he's a 2024 offensive lineman. Eight Power Five offers since September 18th. Um, just Iowa State, Missouri, Minnesota, Kansas, Oklahoma, Wisconsin, and Nebraska. And Iowa offered him this past weekend on his visit. Iowa's done well. Uh, in-state offensive line-wise, and now this kid becomes important. But unlike some of the kids, like a Cody Fox, where Iowa was in early and just closed the deal, they've got competition for this kid. Yeah, I mean, being late to the party, really, when everybody else around you was already offered him, that kind of that kind of adds to the to the issues. Now, I don't know if he's, you know, I haven't seen him up close and in person. I, I think I missed him the other day. But to have all those offers, have Iowa State already offering before then, and the Kansas schools, which are very active in the state, and Minnesota is as well, and and then Oklahoma and Nebraska, to me, is like, uh oh, that you could really, especially with Oklahoma, when they come up to Iowa for something like this, that tells you a lot. Now he looks like he's got a great starter kit, six six two sixty five. Um, doesn't look like he's, you know, I mean, he looks like he can put on weight and not miss the thing, you know, so I, but now they're in a fight for him, you know, and, and whereas if they would have offered him six months ago or a year ago, certainly he might already be wearing, uh, he might already be off the market. Yeah. Be interested uh, to see how much Iowa ramps things up with, with bricks to, to try to uh, uh, try to gain up some, gain some ground uh, from where they were uh you know, just kind of jumping in here late, but it's still early. Those kids are only juniors in high school, so plenty of time there. Another junior who visited here in July and came back this past weekend, Styles Prescott from uh, Indiana, uh, got an offer this past weekend as well, and he's been building a good relationship with George Barnett. We talked about it, Scott. They, this is an important time for Iowa. It it misfired. Uh, it, it, you know, eighteen, nineteen, at the end of last decade, it's important now to not have as many misses. And these kids they're identifying now, new, different offensive line coach. These are the kids you got to hit. You got to hit these kids and 
get back to having a consistent offensive line to where you're not having to play so many inexperienced guys early in the process and you have time to develop guys. Mm-hmm. No question. And yeah, he's a big, you know, guy. He's also got some good offers already. You know, he's from Indiana as opposed to, you know, being from Iowa like Ricks. And, uh, you know, when you see him that he's visited places like Purdue and Notre Dame and Cincinnati, which will be in the big 12 next year, there's just a lot of, you know, elements now in play, but you you want to compete. He's a 24 kid. So you got time and, and he's already been on campus a couple of times. So that's a good thing. He's on the campus obviously last week and then during the summer. So I think that's, uh, that speaks well for Iowa, but uh, you know, as you said, when you're in this position, where you got what three sophomores, a freshman, and a and a junior, you know, in your starting lineup, and then you have what uh, the rotational guys are two freshmen or freshman and sophomore. It means you'll be pretty good in a couple of years, but it also means right now that this is the position that they're in, and they need to make sure that they don't go through that again. As you said, you know, it's it, you know some of the unfortunate parts are the injuries. You know, guys like Cody Ince and Justin Britt not being able to yep. play. I mean, if you would have them on the offensive line then you'd feel pretty good. Like if your offensive line consisted of, and it wouldn't really wouldn't matter positions, but if it's, uh, you know, Cody Entz, Justin Brett, Connor Colby, Mason Richmond, and then, you know, whether it's Logan Jones or Tyler Ellsbury or whoever at center, I feel like you'd probably be like, okay, well, they're, they're not in bad shape, but, um, but you've got to make sure you replace the injured guys. And, and this might be one. And, and then looking last week and seeing Caden uh, Proctor on the sidelines, <laughs> it was like, yeah, you could probably go out there and help this team right now. Yeah, no question. And as you're saying, that's there's nothing you can do about the position you're in right now. You're the guys are learning on the job, and you hope that that you that pays off next year and the year after that. But you would rather not have to put guys like Jennings Dunker and Bo Stevens and, and guys like that into the action this early. And if you can recruit well behind these guys now then you don't need to do that moving forward and you're not in this position again. Yeah. Cause you know, the ideal, the perfect world for Iowa is you can have two or three veterans up front who are pretty good to keep their positions and then maybe have um, a young player who you think is going to be really good in a few years. And then, and then maybe rotating another one, you know, they've, they've done that forever. You know, Brandon Sheriff rotated at guard, uh, Austin Blythe rotated at guard, Sean Welsh, uh, James Anna, Daniels, James Daniels, you know, you, they just figured they need to go out there and get them some snaps. And then, um, you know, because in another year or two, they're going to be a really important piece. And that's the way you want to play. If you can have six guys, you know, and, and one plays two, two series and another one comes in for one and you're looking at a, you know, the 70 play game or 65 play game, probably, you know, one guy plays 42 and the other one plays 23. I think that's ideal, perfect world. But as you said, you know, and that's that's the world you want to live in for Bo Stevens or, uh, you know, or, you know, Tyler Ellsbury or somebody like that. You don't want to live in the, you know, just throw them out there and see who's playing better today. That That's a that's why things get tough. And we're not talking about the unicorns like Worfs and Proctor. No, those guys are different breed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Linderbaum, you know, who flipped yeah. over, but, but, you know, you think about how almost seamless it looked when he flipped over. I mean, he stepped right in and you didn't, you really didn't notice him making any mistakes right away. And, um, you know, Logan Jones is coming to, is improving, 
And uh, I asked him about that block, you know, they got called for the necessary roughness. I said, what did it said to you? And it's basically like, don't change a thing, just do what you do. And that's really all you can do. But, but it's been a little more difficult, you know, climb. And maybe that's because, uh, you know, at, at now, granted, when Linderbaum went in, that's when they had some guard trouble. But he still had Worfs and, and Alaric Jackson, and, and they were really good players. No question. We'll uh, keep an eye on the recruiting. It's important time here. It'll be important next week when Iowa has the bye week. They'll have the coaches out on the road, check kids out. We'll get a little bit of indication of uh, which guys they uh, are are high on the on the recruiting board, so to speak. But um, transition now into some basketball talk. Believe it or not, it was Iowa Men's Basketball Media Day yesterday, Wednesday, October the 5th. And uh, it's good to see those guys. I enjoy it, Scott. I'm not in a basketball mode. I'll admit that right now. But it's good to diversify a little bit and get talk a little bit about this season. I think this is an interesting team. Uh, you lose, you know, a general, generational-type talent in Keegan Murray moving on and uh, is about to take the NBA by storm. And we're going to hear a lot about him this winter. Uh, you lose a guy who was here for 15 years in Jordan Bohannon. Uh, at least it seemed like 15 <laughs> yeah, years, but right. those are two huge pieces that you have to replace. But as a few guys said yesterday, the year before you were replacing, you know, Luca Garza and Joe Wieskamp, not to mention CJ Frederick and Jack Nungy, uh, and Iowa came through that okay. I don't think there's a Keegan Murray on this roster. There is his twin brother, who I think is a really good player, just a different type of player. But I think if you look at it, what you're hoping for here. We talked about it on the football side in terms of developing guys and guys getting better as their careers go on. You got to hope that from Patrick, you got to hope that from Robracha, Tony Perkins. There, there are a lot of guys on this team that I think can take a step forward. Yeah, you're right. And I think, uh, you know, losing Keegan, as you said, is a generational guy, just like Luca Garza was, you know, and we scamp to an extent was as well. And, and those are, you, you just don't replace them. And, and Iowa seemingly had one of those players almost every year since, you know, Fran's been there from Devin Marble to um, Aaron White, Jared Utoff and Peter Jock and Tyler Cook. And, you know, the list goes on and on. They've had a really high level professional basketball player. Um, and Keegan Murray is probably the best of the bunch, certainly at the NBA level. But I do like the guts of this roster. I think they're able to compensate in certain areas for, Keegan to an extent and, and for Jordan. And, you know, when you look at, uh, you know, one sophomore, I, I kind of talked to him and I tried to approach this question in a weird way, but I'm like, you know, Peyton Sanford, he, he had a similar role last year to what Keegan Murray did as a freshman, not to compare the same type of jump. That's just impossible. There's no way he's going to, you know, if he does, then I'll be blown away. But, um, but his impact could be greater. I mean, he had he averaged, you know, 10 and a half minutes, five points a game. I would expect those numbers could probably double for him, you know, that he could probably average close to 10 points in, in 20 minutes a game. Tony Perkins, I think, really took off. Um, he really became that. I just look at him on the court and I just think a dog, a tough dude. He's going to get his buckets. He's not going to play around with anybody. And and I really like, uh, you know, Patrick McCaffrey's game. He's the leading scorer returning. Um, he averaged 24 minutes last year, 10 and a half points. I think he's going to be a guy that is going to, you know, be able to take another step forward. And, and Chris Murray, too, 
now that he, the offense is, he's going to be a more focal point of this offense. He's going to get a chance to shine. So I like the guts of this roster. Um, you know, it's going to take some time to completely build it and build it in what, it, what it's going to be. But last year, I thought they would take a major step back. And in fact, you can make a case that they were an even better team uh, last year towards the end of the year, especially winning the Big Ten tournament than they were the year before when they were number two seed in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and I wouldn't expect to have, and you shouldn't expect to have somebody like Keegan who's going to average, you know, Upwards at you know, 20, what do you average? 22, 23 points a game last year? 23 and a half, yeah. Yeah, so I think you're going to have a situation where, as you said, Scott, you could have Patrick, Chris, Tony, Sanford. They're legitimate double-figure scores. You could have four guys right there that could beat you on any given night, depending on matchups. Maybe one of the, you know, one night it's Chris having the most points. Another night it's a Patrick, maybe Tony, maybe Peyton. Um, and the guy was pretty good at point guard point guards are pretty good hands with the combo they have of Eulis. And I've heard nothing but good things about DeSante Bowen. And if you talk to the kid, he he's got it. He he understands he gets it. So he'll have his growing pains as a freshman at point guard in this league. Uh, but I think he's, he's going to be, uh, a, uh, a key contributor this year. And then hopefully Josh Dix gets his feet back under him. Literally. And maybe can be, you know, what Peyton Sanford was last year. Yeah, right. It's, you know, to me, I think it comes down to two key positions um, in how I, if Iowa goes from being a quality NCAA tournament team to one that's competing at the, at the top of the Big Ten. And I think it's, uh, it's point guard, as you mentioned. It's, uh, you know, because Bohannon had to move back there last year. They just weren't were unsettled, you know, and Joe Toussaint transferred and it just wasn't consistent enough. And then the other one, uh, and so can Euless and Bowen kind of man that point can, you know, if they need to, they can always have Connor McCaffrey bring up the ball for it. It is sixth year and it feels like the same type of scenario as Bohan and yeah. um, been there forever. And, or even Tony Perkins, because in a lot of cases, it's just bringing up the ball anyway. But to me, the, the one that really they've got to be prepared for is, is the post. And they weren't able to get anybody out of the transfer portal. You know what? NIL, it matters more in men's basketball than any other sport. Uh, so, but, you know, can Rebraca do, uh, can he take steps forward to be a quality post when they're playing big posts? Not just, you know, in most games, it's not going to matter, I don't think. I think it's just another rebounder. But, but when they're playing Purdue or Michigan, can he go in there and bang and, and do that? Can Riley Mulvey become a contributor? Can Josh Agudele, who went to the portal and came back, um, can he provide quality minutes? He looks slimmer. He looks like he's, you know, in better shape. And um, But they're going to need him. You know, he's good at times. And he seems like against Purdue, he's always good. And that's, that's an important team to play against. So um, if they can get something positive out of the post on a consistent basis, and if their point guard can really – um, you know, do a good job for this team. Yeah, I think they could be a top three team in the Big Ten this year. Yeah, and like you said, Scott, it's not going to be – I don't think it's going to be one guy. I don't think Euless or Bowen's going to run away with the point guard position and probably not that situation in the post either. It's going to be a combination of guys. Um, and I, and I, I think you can, you know – if you're in, Big Ten play is when that post play is going to be most important. And if you can 
maybe push Rebracha to the four spot, which I think is his natural spot, and have Mulvey and Gundele suck up at least half the minutes, if not, you know, 25 at the center position, that makes you that much more flexible, versatile to be able to match up with whatever's being thrown your way. No question. And if they can do that, um, you know, then they're in a really, really good spot. Because, yeah, I, I think if I, in a perfect world, you, in, in Iowa's offense, I mean, Luca Garza aside, you know, they're not really built to, to have a center based offense anyway. That's not what they do. But when you have Luca Gar- Garza, you feed Luca Garza. Right. Uh, but, you know, I, I would like to see like Morocco to me would be a great sixth man, you know, because he's versatile. He can play the four, he can play the five and come in and on games and impact him. I think that would be his perfect role, but, but you got to have somebody, you know, a Ryan Craner would be perfect for this team right now. And any of those three guys get to that level, uh, you know, Mulvey, can he make those strides, you know, Gundele, you know, I, I you know, I, I wondered, I don't know, did you get a chance to talk to him? I was just wondering about his flirtation with the transfer portal and, you know, and how, how his conversation with Fran went when he decided or they decided to bring him back. And that, that had to be very interesting. Yeah. I didn't get a chance to talk to him yesterday. That was one of the misses I had. I just didn't get it, get have enough time or limited with the amount of time. And I got to everybody pretty much besides him and a couple of other guys, but I think um, we could probably take at face value that if Iowa would have gotten one of those other big men, I'm not sure Josh would be back here, but Josh needs to look at this opportunity as almost a second chance and not squander it. And there were times last year, I think, where he wasn't all in and kind of let things, his conditioning, which is, that's kind of been the one of the challenges for him is conditioning since he's gotten here. And he talked about it with me during recruiting that that was something that he he needed to tackle that he needed to overcome is letting himself get out of shape like you said he looks good again but he looked good at the beginning of last year when last year started and then he let himself go during the season he can't do that again this team it's an opportunity that he can't squander again because i think it's probably his last one for sure and and he's you know and and I'm sure you're right. You know, if they would have gotten the kid from uh, Louisiana who went to Ole Miss, um, no, I think they'd probably be, you know, saying sayonara to Josh Ogundale or bringing him back. And they'll bring it back, but there's really nothing here for you. Um, and now he does have that chance and he's got to make good on it because they need him. They really do. And because um, even last year, you know, you could move some guys around and even Keegan could play in the post if they needed him to. And he did sometimes, but, you know, and it's, again, it's not necessarily, it's not a rigid offense where they know oh, they need the five every single time, but it's mainly, it's like Fran said yesterday, it's more about rebounding than anything. Um, it's not the body up and be physical in there. I mean, Adam Woodbury was really good in that role. Very, very good. Underrated in that role. Not really a score. Um, they don't need a score necessarily. And, and I think Rebracca, this is his, you know, he's what now a fifth or sixth year guy. I think now is his chance to, to also kind of assert himself in that role, but, but play in a way that is advantageous to him and his development. 
Yeah, should be an interesting season. Uh, a lot of change in the Big Ten. Big Ten lost a lot of players. If you look at the NBA draft, some of the a lot of the star power is gone. Uh, so as we've seen in the past, new guys step in and take on those those roles in the league. And we'll see if Iowa can have a few of those guys. Um, Scott, you wrote about a little bit different angle uh, from media day yesterday. You talked to to Connor and Patrick who have grown up literally in and around this program um, and asked them for their starting five players from their dad's tenure here, which believe it or not is going into year 13. And uh, so Tom Davis went 13 years, right? Yeah. Isn't that crazy when you think about it? Yeah. You know, that Fran is uh, year 13 and, and, and some people think of him as just kind of, he's still the young one, but frankly, it's, just because, uh, you know, the other ones have been around for so long. I mean, yeah. God, uh, Brands is what, going into your 17, I think it is, uh, 16 or 17. And for parents, of course, 24, Lisa Bluter, 20 plus. I mean, it's like, yeah, he feels like he's just started, but you're 13. That's a lot. And of course, for their life spot, uh, lifespan, it's it's a huge part of their life. Um, you know, both of them were really interesting. Uh, you know, Connor was like, is this position based, you know? Um, and uh, when I, cause he started to go, well, uh, you know, and he, then he went four really quick. Devin at the one, Devin Marble, Whitey, Keegan and Luca, three, four, five. And then he started hemming and hawing over the, uh, the, the two guard or whatever. And between Jock and, and Jared Utah. And he went with Jock. Um, Connor, I mean, uh, Patrick was, uh, more decisive because he actually said he was talking about this the other day and he went with Marble, Utah, Keegan, Aaron White, and, and then of course, Luca Garza. But then uh, Connor started going, well, but I love Sap. I love the way he's played defense and I'm TC, you know, Tyler Cook, uh, he'd be really tough, you know, so East camp. Yeah, I know they, I was kind of surprised he didn't get brought up, but he didn't. Um, so I don't know. I kind of went through my own teams and I thought, what would I do? (laughs) I think some of it would be based on if you have to stay to a rigid position. Yeah. Or if you just take your best five. Right. Because, you know, my best, you know, if I was to go position and then this might even be best five to that matter, I would probably go with Marble, Jock. I'd probably do what Connor did. Marble, Jock, Murray. Whitey and, and Garza, but I'd feel like, oh, Wieskamp, that's a tough one to leave out. Utah, that's a tough one to leave out. Those are probably my, I'd say Utah would be my first alternate and Wieskamp my second alternate. Um, and then there are others, you know, I, I thought Woodbury was really good as a post defender and passer, not as much as a score, but again, if you've got a scoring offense, you don't need that. Uh, I thought Matt Gaines towards the end of his year, uh, he, he played with a really rough roster. So I don't think we got to see him in his full capabilities, Tyler Cook, of course. And, you know, the guy I, I like, you wouldn't mention his own name, is, is Connor as a glue, guts and glue kind of guy that really helps out in the roster. And uh, and then a couple others that got overshadowed, I think, Gable Lashaney, uh, Melson Basabi. Um, Eric May was a good captain early in his career. Mike Gazelle was, was a nice point guard. Um you know, Bryce Cartwright did a nice job his first year. So there's a lot of really good players, but I think that first six or seven are 
you know, it's, it's tough once you get past four because it just seems like there's four at the top. And then after that, it's like, oh, okay, which first team all Big Ten guy do you leave out? Yeah, and I think if after this season, maybe Chris enters the conversation. Yeah, good. Very well, good. I mean, if he takes a similar jump, he said he doesn't think he'll be like a 23-point guy. He said he might be like a 15 to 20 guy, which you'll take that in a heartbeat. Yeah. And he, he's like, because he's also more of a facilitator than his brother. And, uh, you know, which which kind of means that to me, Keegan is probably best served as like a four and he's best served as a three. So yeah. you would you would take that either way. Yeah. And if anything, this conversation, I think, illustrates that there have been some really good basketball players here the last 12 years. Yeah. I know. And, you know, the tough, the, the one, you know, the thing I also asked them was their favorite memories or moments before losing, um, uh, before they became players. And then after, you know, of course, after it's easy, the Big Ten tournament last year, but beforehand and, and Connor and, and Patrick both were more in the line of just watching the program grow that what it was like when they got here and being so outgunned you know, and, and outmanned every single game of those early years. But then you think of the, the moments, the, you know, like the ones against, uh, you know, like Patrick brought up the Dayton game in the NIT in 2012, which was just seismic because remember that was the one where there was, uh, it was sold out and nobody had their normal seats. So it was just a raucous environment from the tip to, to the close. And, um, and then, you know, Connor or in particular was just like just watching this team grow and winning games. You know, and one line he says, I don't, I don't want to say people, some people take it for granted, but we're beating high level teams, high level talent on a consistent basis. When we got here, that wasn't the case. And, and I think that's right. And I think that's kind of the way football and basketball are right now in this, this program that, you know, they're not taking the biggest step but they're very, very good. And they beat good teams consistently. And um, there's some people that appreciate it. And there's some people who think that it should just be part of the gig. And, and that's a disconnect that I don't think you'll ever really align with Iowa fans. No. And I, I mean, I understand there's a, there's that envy of, you know, why can't we be a championship level team, but, you also need to look at the opposite of that. Well, you know, you're lucky you're not back to way yeah. this thing was, you know, in the seventies for football or when Licklider was here. Yeah. Exactly. Cause it, it's certainly not that far. It doesn't take a lot to get back to the toilet. Yeah. Right. Well, you look at football now um, at some point, Nebraska will get off the mat or you could be Nebraska. You fire Kirk the way yeah. they did uh, Frank Solich. And then to think that you've got somebody in mind and, and that person isn't very good, or you think, oh, it's a home run hire and Scott Frost and he's the worst one you've ever hired. That's 20 years of wandering in the desert, just kind of like Iowa did between Ebby and Hayden. And, you know, now I also understand that you can't be so risk averse right. that you don't uh, take an opportunity when it's there. But, you know, it was only a year ago, Iowa was ranked second in the country. And had won 12 straight games from dating to the year before and still won his division title. And, and, you know, but I also understand and agree with you should expect more production from the offense, that this just can't be this bad. Likewise with Fran, you know, he, he hasn't gotten the team to the sweet 16. 
And that's something that people will look at. And, and, iro- talk. and ironically, the narrative there is defense, whereas exactly. it's the opposite for football. I tweeted that out yesterday. For Hop. I, I took a picture of Fran. I said, you know, here's a team that's led the Big Ten in offense for the last four years. <laughs> and somebody, you know, people kind of took that, kind of laughed, I think. But also, man, if we have Fran as our offensive coordinator and Phil as our <laughs> defensive specialist in basketball, what a team we'd have. I was talking to Tony Perkins yesterday, and he was talking about his football career. And I was like, well, what type of quarterback were you? And he said, Lamar Jackson. He said, I like to think Lamar Jackson. And he goes, I watch our team sometimes talking about Iowa football. And he goes, ah, I think about what I could do out there. And it just was funny. Yeah. Patrick was talking about that too, that he's like, you know, Tony thinks that he could play quarterback, receiver, safety. <laughs> he thinks he'd be great at all those positions. Tony does uh, not, he does not lack for confidence. No. Uh-uh. And uh, I kind of think that he'd probably get a rude awakening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. But, yeah, so that'd be kind of funny, though. So, Well, let's hop back into football, Scott. We'll wrap up the pod with our weekly picks segment. And uh, this week, same as the weeks before, <laughs> you're, you're better than me. And I'm just any – I think the – I pick games with Pat and Dallas for Ad Hoc Fanatic. We pick, pick those. I'm, I'm actually – those guys are should be ashamed of themselves for letting me beat them so far yeah. in picks. I'm also in the Bet Rivers contest, dead last in that, and I also trail you. So yeah. that disclaimer, whatever yeah. I'm about to pick, don't pick it. <laughs> Go the other way. Yeah. Well, last week we were pretty close. We had one different pick, and, and I got that one right. Uh, I picked Northwestern. My uh, plus 26 and a half in Penn State. Do you want to say our overall record? Or does... Yeah, go ahead. Throw it out right. there. You need to, you need to at least uh, let the people out there know again to run away from my picks. <laughs> I'm, thir- I'm, <laughs> I'm 34, 19 and one. You're 25, 28 and one. And uh, I don't you should know. That... Be, are you betting your money on these? So you should actually be gambling on these. Not allowed to, Rob. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that's that's the unfortunate part. Maybe I should do basketball, but of course I'd be much worse, much worse there. But I uh, did win the basketball Bet Rivers contest, the March Madness. So okay, I'll hang well, my hat on that. I'm waiting for basketball season. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, we had to sign a document and everything when we went to the New York Times. So, ah, <sighs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, there's a Friday night game, um, Nebraska minus three at Rutgers. Uh, this week, Mark Whipple's talking about Big Ten title and uh, Big Ten West title anyway, uh, you know, after winning their first game in a year against a Power 5 team. So Nebraska, as always, does not lack for, you know, confidence. Uh, Rutgers is a tough physical team. I, I mean, we saw them there, you know, last couple of weeks ago. And um, they, they could have Noah Vedral back. That would be interesting, you know, playing against his old team. That said, I'm going to go with Nebraska minus three. I think they have more talent. I think they have more potential to to uh, beat Rutgers, even though it's on the road at Piscataway at night. They have a red out? Well, they uh, probably not for Nebraska. <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Yeah, uh, maybe a blackout or something. But <laughs> now they uh, they had a scarlet out from the Hawkeyes. Yeah, it was a pretty good atmosphere. I'm not going to ding them for it. I thought it went well. Uh, you know, I thought like Piscataway is a different 
environment than what I think people think of it. I, I looked at it as kind of a different version of Madison. You know, maybe it was mm-hmm. the red, but but I like the bar scene there. It's just the only yeah. difference is it's really tough to get from New Brunswick to Piscataway. And I think if there's anything, New Brunswick felt like more of a college town and Piscataway, you know, at least that area is kind of out on its own. But um, but anyway, I, I, I don't know. Greg Schiano, the one thing I've learned about him is that team's going to fight you, if nothing else. And that's that's a big plus from where they were not that long ago. Yeah, Whipple's a little out there. He's I think he's channeling Scott Frost in his absence. Yeah, uh, right. it seemed like that this week. But yeah, this is an interesting game, Scott, just in. I think Rutgers is with Shiano is, is disciplined talent level probably isn't there that he wants yet. The offense does not look good um, consistently. Nebraska has a bunch of talent, explosive offense when it's going well, but undisciplined um, will hurt itself on occasion. So that's what makes this one a tough one to pick. But when I'm down, I got to take some chances and I'm going with, uh, I'm going with the home team here and I'm going to uh, predict that Nebraska Nebraska is at this game and uh, does stupid stuff to shoot itself in the foot. Man, you know, it would be kind of, it'd be kind of funny because they actually played pretty well. I thought against Indiana, you know, other than the, the, the Ch- uh, Chuba Purdy, whatever that was, fumble. It was yeah. kind of Jonathan Parker type at the, Hawk Slayer Bowl, you know, just except it was in the end zone. Yep. Um, that was ridiculous. But um, Michigan uh, at Indiana, Michigan or Indiana is getting 22 and a half against the, the Wolverines. Um, what do you think about this? Oh, uh, on the road for a second week in a row. Um, I'm throwing the points. Indiana is just not a very good team. I'm really not still not sure how it beat Illinois. Illinois killed itself in that game. Michigan is far superior here. Um, so I'm going with that could be a letdown. Indiana's played Michigan tough in the past, but I'm going to go with who I think is the superior team here, even though it's a heck of a lot of points. Yeah, I'm going to go with Michigan as well. I think this is tough because, again, it's it's like, well, what do you, what do you kind of imagine the score being? And if it's if I told you 31 to 10, I would probably take the over for Michigan. You know, it's probably more in the 34 to 10 or 41 to 10 type of scenario. Um, Michigan is what really impressed me about Michigan was their ability just to channel on what they need to do and do it well. There were no turnovers. There were no stupid plays. There were no, oh, my God, I can't believe they did that. Indiana has shown that it, you know, it did that, certainly in Nebraska. It's at home, but that doesn't matter for Indiana. I mean, it's not basketball. Um, so, yeah, I'm taking Michigan as well. I mean, throwing the 22 and a half, that's a large number, as you said. But w- what Michigan did at Iowa translates over into different places. This isn't just they went – 37 for 40 through the air for 450 yards and six touchdowns. I mean, if you run, if you can run the ball in Iowa city, you can run the ball anywhere. Um, and I think they'll do that all day long at <laughs> Indiana on another big 10 network or big 10, big noon kickoff. And then they got another one after that with it in uh, Penn state. So uh, it's just going to be kind of the Michigan big noon kickoff when the <laughs> season's going. Here's an interesting, here's maybe the most fascinating game to me. 
Wisconsin minus nine and a half at Northwestern. And I'm going to go my, I'm going to go Wildcats again. Uh, I think North, uh, Wisconsin's beat Northwestern in Evanston twice in the last 20 years. And uh, the turmoil that they've experienced, I don't, I did not see a good football team last Saturday. And I don't, I'm not convinced they magically can become a good football team just with the changing of the guard. And, and uh, Northwestern, long grass, they can play every now and then. They, they have a pretty good running game. Saw what they were able to do with Nebraska. Last week, they only lost by 10 in Unhappy Valley. So um, I think that they – I'm not saying they win, but I think they cover. What's the number? Nine, nine and a half for Wisconsin. Yeah, I'll take Northwestern. I think it's a touchdown game probably for Wisconsin, and it's one that um, will not be aesthetically pleasing if you're watching it. Yeah, if you're watching it. You, the only reason why you'd watch it is they're in the same division and right. they're kind of rivals. So I think you just go, well, or you have money on the game. Yeah. Right. That's it. <laughs> but, but there'll be other games that'll be more entertaining. Certainly. But uh, then speaking of which one that will be for sure. And probably an underrated game of the week, Purdue at Maryland. Yeah. This one is, three. this one could be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, I think this could be a high scoring game and I'm here for it. You know, after watching the, uh, the Iowa team for the, and then the bears on Sunday, which just adds <laughs> to the chaos. Um, I'm going to go with Purdue. Give me three in Purdue. I think, uh, Purdue's got the chance to now, you know, it kind of sh- can shape its destiny. Um, it played well, I thought against Minnesota last week. So I, I'm going to take the boilers. Purdue found a running game, which is scary. Um, this is a tough one. Um, so Purdue is getting three points. Yeah. Maryland's a three-point favorite. I'll take the three. Okay. I will definitely take the three. I think this is going to be one of those whoever scores last is going to win. It's going to be – what's the total? You probably don't have it in front of you. I would wonder what the total is I'll, in this game. I'll look it up here really quick. Because, I, I mean, Maryland scored 27 on Michigan. So, um Right. Uh, definitely an explosive offense. Two of the better quarterbacks in the league, too, in this game, I think. Yeah, great receivers. Yep. You know, of course, a, an Iowa refugee. And I don't know. Scrolling here, I'm trying to find it. Um, maybe I missed. Oh, there it is. Uh, go to consensus here. Oh, sorry for the delay. No, you're good. Yeah. Um, no, now they're. 64. 64. So, yeah, that's that's pretty high scoring, you know. Did I get uh, it? Oh, no. Oh, I thought you – that's what you said. No, that was my guess. Uh, it's 58 and a half. It opened at 61 and a half. So, 58 and a half. So, I, I could see this one being, a, like, in the last minute of the game, it's 38-34 or even 48-44. Yeah. Um, Maryland and Purdue have a chance to take the lead or – or lose, you know, and it could be a betting win or loss too at the same time. So uh, great receivers, you know, Purdue's got some good ones. Obviously Maryland it does as well. Dante Demas and Rock and Jarrett and, and Tiger Viola and, and K- Oaden O'Connell could be really good in this game. So, and I, I think Purdue's defense is a little bit better, but. This it's, is, it's, it's a big one for Purdue. If Purdue can yeah. get this one, it's going to have a, a big leg up, I think, in the division. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because. There's not a team in the division that they can't beat, mm-hmm. you, know, you know, 
based on style. And, and the part of that is, and this is, this is the problem I have with Iowa and its style of play is one play can get you beat when you have a team like that, or, yep. you know, they're built to where they can come back and, and get you. There aren't any other teams. Nebraska probably could if it stays disciplined enough, but the rest of them aren't built that way. Um, the Buckeyes minus 25 and a half at Michigan State. I mean, Michigan wow. State clearly, clearly is the most disappointing team in the league this year. Um, That's a big you, number. I'm going to go with, I'm going to take the 25 and a half. Okay. Just because this is somewhat of a rivalry game. I'm just going to, this is a complete dart throw that Michigan State gets a late score here to be able okay. to keep it within 25 and a half. Yeah, the over, the over under is sixty five. So um, they expect uh, and actually the oh my god the current uh, I, I read a wrong number. It's twenty seven and a half. I don't think that changes you. No, I'll um, take I'll take the extra two. And a half. Yeah, <laughs> four touchdowns I'm, basically. Yeah, I've been waiting for Ohio State to kind of back off, lay an egg a little bit, and uh, it did a little bit last week, but I think Rutgers is better than even Michigan State right now. That's That's crazy, but it's true. I'm going to go with the the Buckeyes. Um, I think they're out to make a statement that they are deserving of moving up in the polls, and they've been unfairly discriminated against because they are a a Big Ten team. So (laughs) I'm going to go with uh, the Ohio State University. Now, ours... uh, the game that we'll be at and this move this line's moved quite a bit throughout the week hasn't it well it opened at three and a half it's still three and a half okay the point totals I've... moved up one but um so yeah the illinois is favored three and a half at home um they're expecting you know the pumpkin belima you know the <laughs> big orange to come out and, and roll an iowa team that hasn't shown much punch on offense but um, both of them are pretty good defensively statistically goes. Um, I'm still, I'm going to go Iowa. And part of it is the emotion of the moment can get to some teams. I'm not saying that, you know, and, I, and I'm saying that I think Illinois, the moment may be too big for them right now. And they're playing against a team that won't play to their level, that understands its importance and its place in the world. I saw enough life in Iowa last week to think that Iowa has a chance to to do some decent things offensively and to shut down Illinois and then what's going to happen when they have to press because you know this might be the first decent team that they've played all year I don't think Wisconsin's in that ballpark not now maybe they would will be later and I think Iowa has a strategy and a a system that travels so I'm going to give the Hawkeyes a a bump here going towards the, the end of the line. I agree, and I especially like that hook, um, the three-and-a-half. That half-point hook is nice there because um, the, I think it's probably a field goal game one way or the other. Um, and if either team's going to run away from the other, I think it will be Iowa. I really like what you talked about earlier, Scott, and I hopefully that Iowa employs this strategy to get the ball, continue to get the ball to the tight ends. I think those are two of your best weapons on offense, and I think if you can – catch Illinois in some run blitzes and get the ball to those playmaking tight ends, that could be very advantageous. And then I think in conjunction with that, that opens up the running game for Williams and Johnson. The Williams is is and Johnson. Seems like we hadn't talked about this. It seems like uh, maybe LaShawn and and Caleb are the the one-two punch here and Gavin is kind of 
sprinkled in here or there. It seems like that may be the case, and there's nothing wrong with that. And it's nice to have three guys that are capable because it's a position that absorbs a lot of uh, contact and, and guys get dinged up. So it's nice to know that you have three capable guys in your backfield. For sure. And, uh, and Gavin has been dinged up and, you know, I didn't have a lot of snaps last week, but I, I would also say that based on performance that I've seen that the two best performing running backs are LaShawn Williams and Caleb Johnson right now. And I think that they've, uh, that's to me, you gotta, you gotta take, you gotta run with that. And, um, I do think the tight ends are very important. I think also I, I can see this setting up a lot like the Rutgers game where yeah. this is their, their emotions all in. And as we know, Iowa takes a lot of emotion out of the game for a lot of teams. And this is being one of them that you stop them, you force them to punt. Maybe, maybe you score, you know, there's a defensive score and then they start to press because they haven't been in this situation before. And that could be, you know, they had a big emotional win and they've, everybody loves them right now. Hey, look at Illinois. And that's tough to, to go through. If this was basketball, it'd be a different animal um, because, you know, Illinois is in that Bermuda triangle, <laughs> you know, with yeah. Purdue and Indiana where basketball's first. And, uh, but I just, you know, and, and this is a, this is kind of a rivalry game that doesn't have a, a trophy. Although I do, I still believe that a black and orange, traffic cone is the perfect one for this game <laughs> you know if you were to have, have a traveling trophy you know, <laughs> just whoever t- grabs one off i-74 on the way to the stadium and that's the one you get but <laughs> a one-lane road yeah um, exactly and we'll end on this guys um iowa's football games are sold out this year so you can't you have to buy tickets on the secondary market there are tickets remaining for this game, especially if you're in Eastern Iowa, Western Illinois, even in Central Iowa. It's a pretty easy trip to get there, and uh, Iowa fans have traveled at least, you know, in recent years, uh, pretty well to this game. So, might not be a weather supposed to be a little crisp, but this might not be a bad idea to get on the road and, and catch Iowa and support the Hawkeyes on the road. Yeah, it's perfect football weather. It'll be probably in the low 40s, maybe even high 30s, but at least there won't be rain. So yeah, it's, it's fall football weather, and uh, you you know what they have, they're selling a four pack now for four for 109 dollars. I'm like, shoot, but Iowa would be one for 109 dollars, you know, for some of these games, and and so yeah, you got an opportunity here to watch your team, and you know the Chicagoland area as well. I mean, it's just yeah. zoom, you know, downstate a little bit. And, uh, you St. Know, Louis, St. Louis, yeah, Indy, you know, yep. whatever. So I, I think I, I do think this is going to be a really interesting matchup because I think if Bielema continues to build this program and I expect him to build it, do at least a competitive program, that this is a series that will be very important to both programs for the things we talked about with recruiting. But their neighbors, there's never been a lot of love for this these teams for one another. Um, Iowa has owned this series other than that accidental, you know, loss in 2008 by a field goal, but that was a year after Illinois went to the Rose Bowl and Iowa beat them that year. So I think this is a, um, this sets the stage up for what could be a, a very important and competitive series for a lot of years. Yeah. My recommendation would be for Hawkeye fans, a bunch of you to show up wearing orange and then rip the orange shirts off and have gold underneath. Yeah, right. <laughs> Remember the old orange crush, you know, yep. invasions and yep. 
the, the one of the moments that stands out of, dare I say, the Licklider era, or error, if you want to be more ac- uh, accurate. <laughs> E-R-A. Was, yeah. <laughs> E-R-R-O-R. <laughs> nope, either one works. <laughs> yeah. Was uh, when they played Illinois and about 300 students got tickets underneath one of the baskets and um, they got it through a donor because normally they would split them up. Then they ripped all those things off right under the basket. And my phone was pinging from, you know, old dudes like us remember a lot of the the wars of the 80s and 90s uh, between these two teams on the basketball court, which I think right now we're in a kind of a similar mm-hmm. era for that. Um, you know, when, you know, you had Marble against Kendall Gill and, you know, the Flying Lion Eye and, um, you know, all the way up through the, you know, Andy Kaufman shot 94 or 93, I'm sorry. Um, you know, that they had uh, all that stuff. I, I think this case, it's going to be, um, I think you're going to see an inspired, Illini crowd. So the important thing for Iowa is take them out of it. Yeah. I look forward to this one. It's very intriguing. I don't really have a strong feeling either way on who's going to win this. Wouldn't surprise me if either team won. And those are the kind of games that are fun to go into and just kind of see which team can, can, you know, establish itself and impose its will on the other and uh, look forward to this one. I will see you down in Champaign, Scott. Thank you everybody for listening to the Hawkeye hotspot podcast. Thanks for all to all of our sponsors for supporting the podcast. Scott and I will be back to talk to you next week on the bye week Maybe we'll come up with some fun mid season topics. We'll review this game and then look at, look out to the second half of the season. Um, enjoy the games this weekend, everybody. And we will talk to you next week. Say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.